Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Believe Knicks podcast, home of the almost undefeated New York Knicks, Matthew Miranda and Stacey Patton. I think both enjoying a very positive opening to the season so far. Knicks are 2-1. and one. Um, Almost made a remarkable comeback in Memphis. That's their only loss so far. Um, and that's, this is not why they lost, but I'm going to say it. It's hard to win sometimes when you're playing eight on five. But the Grizzlies won the game. But since then, very impressive against Detroit and Orlando, which are not really the the stronger teams in the league. But the Knicks are just trying to solidify themselves. I think they've done that. Stacey, how are you doing today? Doing pretty well. Uh, yeah, I would, I would echo a lot of that. I will say Detroit and especially Orlando. Uh, so Orla- the Knicks are not in a position to take Orlando lightly, by the way. Yes, um, we saw that last year. They were they they were they beat us two out of three times, uh, mm-hmm. and they added the number one overall pick in the draft, and who for a good part of the game yesterday looked every bit the number one pick in the draft. Uh, in yeah, the second he did. Half the Knicks tighten up, but um, but I, I mean, Paolo Banquero has a very bright future. Um, Franz Wagner is a very bright feature. I don't know mm-hmm. if they went to this. They didn't really do this in the next game, but there was a lineup they threw out um, in an earlier game where Franz Wagner was their point guard, and he's 6'10". Um, yeah. Because the rest of the lineup was Franz Wagner, Bol Bol, Wendell Carter Jr., uh, Mo Bamba, and, uh, and Paolo. <laughs> so everyone's 6'10 and up. And they legitimately have the skill and size to do that. And, I mean, it's probably not going to be an effective lineup that you can go to a lot. But it's, I mean, A, like, that's kind of the freedom of, like, a young team. Like, you can try shit like that. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, that kind of explains some of the frustrations the Knicks fans had when, you know, when we were really tanking or down, you know, just throwing shit against the wall and seeing what works. But uh, but that aside, like, you know, it... it um, they're a very talented team. They're going to be good, and they're going to be a pain in the ass to play against, and they were, right? Uh, and I think what was really the big takeaway of that game is, like, they got it back to six, and uh, it was just – it felt a lot like a lot of games last year where they got it down to six. The Knicks were trying to post up Julius Randle because the the Magic kept switching Cole Anthony onto him. Yeah. Which, like, if – by the way, if Randle is posting up Cole Anthony, I'm going to – I'm not calling him selfish for that. I'm not calling him – low basketball IQ for that, right? Like, that's a... You have a 6-3 guard on you. You should be using that matchup, right? Uh, but Absolutely. it was working out, right? I think they weren't able to get him to the ball the ball low enough. Um, Anthony was, you know, flopping a little bit. Uh, and they went away from it. And But but those kind of games last year felt like, all right, we're it's down to six. We're not getting buckets. You know, what's going to happen? We're slowing the game down. And then Brunson got the rebound, and he had put his hand up. And I hate when somebody on the Knicks puts their hands up to slow the possession down. I just think they're way better in transition than they are in the half court. But he did it. And then he, um, you know, everyone knows what Jalen Brunson's going to do. He's a lefty. He likes to get to the mid-range. And nobody can stop it because he he drove right. Or he drove left. Or he drove right because they gave him the right. Got back to his left. Faked, stepped back. And it was a tough mid-range shot, and I was like, oh, we can hit this, but right now, is this a good shot? And he made it, and he got an and one. And that's what yeah. he brings. Um, and, and him bringing that, by the way, allows Randall to shift down into a role that I have to give him credit. He's bought into, right? We haven't seen him. Like, all, all of the, the worst fears that I think a lot of us had. I, I was I was I don't think I would have said I, this was my fear. I was going to – my, my thoughts were more I'd have to reserve judgment. But, you know, I think the worst case scenario was Randall cannot fit with Brunson, Um, you know, kind of like he didn't fit with Walker. Um, The offense stagnates. Neither of them is able to thrive. And the other players don't thrive. And I don't think that's happened. I think they're playing faster. They're moving the ball. Uh, It honestly feels a little bit like the beginning of last year, except this year the defense is clicking too. Um, Last year, the beginning of last year, if everyone remembers, the Knicks moved the ball a lot. Kemba hadn't completely broken down yet. Um, and they were bombing was, greens left and right, too. Yeah, and, and I mean, there were a couple of games where they probably took too many. But the problem yep. was Mitchell Robinson was out of shape. Nerlens Noel yep. was hurt. Uh, mm-hmm. And Kemba and Fournier mm-hmm. together was a bad backcourt. I still think Brunson and Fournier isn't the greatest backcourt to start yeah. with. But this year, the Knicks, are their defense has been elite, too. So 
Um, it's very like all the questions you would have had have been answered. Yes. Does that mean that they're going to be top six? I don't know because the East is just that good. But yeah. to the extent that it was a question of fit or Randall or whatever that, you know, if people, if our listeners want me to take a Mia culpa, I think I've tried to be reasonably fair on Randall, but I, I, I won't lie. I wanted to trade him. And so far, while I don't think he's like, you know, an all-star like maximizing Brunson, Brunson being here makes Randall a positive player again and maybe even worth his contract. So um, we haven't talked about a lot of the other positive developments, but yeah, those are the things that have stuck out to me because those are, it's not a secret to say those two along with RJ Barrett were the most scrutinized players this offseason. Mm-hmm. Before we get to other Knicks, a reminder to our listeners, basketball obviously is back and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends. And game trends. I don't know where you can find game trends. Game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether the NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even. That waste of land itself, golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE to receive your rewards. That's B-L-E-A-V, BetOnline, where the game starts. So Stacey started by talking about some of the more scrutinized Knicks coming into the season, which obviously I would think the big three would be Randall, Barrett, and Brunson. But a couple of less scrutinized Knicks have... Um, really stood out to me kind of for different reasons as the season has gone on. And I would be remiss if I did not open with, um, I don't know if I need to give a mea culpa cause I wasn't completely down on him, but, uh, sorry. So you've been heard that noise. I'm taking my dog to the vet tomorrow because he has a mouth infection and he occasionally shrieks out in pain. So if any of you were wondering if that was uh-huh. Stacy or I, no, it's, it's the dog. He'll be okay. Sorry, Pluto. Um, First, Nick Cam Reddish. Um, Cam Reddish who only got, I think, any action the first few games because Quentin Grimes is still out with a foot problem. I mean, who's your source about his off-the-court action? I'm sorry? You said he wasn't getting any action. Is it off the court? And if it's off the court, was that who's your source? There are a number of foot models that I happen to be quite familiar with, and uh, no, I don't know. I don't know what Quentin Grimes does off the court. I'm sure he does fine, uh, but not playing on the court, which is let Reddish get um, a lot more playing time. And Cam Reddish has looked very much like a, the kind of player that I don't think the Knicks otherwise have, and that they need. Um, his athleticism, the first, he was he was absolutely part of what sparked the comeback in Memphis. Um, he has been great. In transition, he's been great driving to the basket, maybe mostly off of attacking closeouts or, or handoffs and things. But there's a point where, you know, Reddish gets into the paint and you can just tell, like, it's either going to be a foul or a basket. Um, I still, I was impressed early on by how many people Tom Thibodeau was playing and then realized there's no way that's going to last. So I don't know what's going to happen. I still feel like the Knicks are going to make a trade, maybe a two for one kind of deal because. I don't think they want or need this many playable people when there's only a 10-man rotation. But I, last year and this year, have felt very much like Cam Reddish, like, whatever. You know, Atlanta got rid of him. NBA's full of wings who aren't consistent shooters, like, whatever. But seeing what he's done the last couple of days, in particular, given the obvious emphasis all the Knicks have on getting out after defensive rebounds, um, they even had a really nice break after a made free throw by the Magic, like, with them pushing the way that they're pushing, Reddish to me suddenly becomes a different kind of proposition, and I am now firmly excited about what Cam Reddish may be or may bring. What has struck you about the Cam Reddish experience three games in? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I'm not so sure I would go so. F- I, I think that I would agree that he gives a skill set that no one else on the Knicks has. It's an interesting compliment to RJ because. Cam has been very efficient, so I guess you can say that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But um, one mm-hmm. thing I'd like to see him do 
he has a variety of just these Gumby finishes, right? He really looks like Gumby around the rim. Arms yep. are so long, great flexibility, great touch. And that's great. And he's finished a bunch of those. Um, but he's kind of, he's a pretty big dude. And I'd like to see him um, start to um, use his strength a little bit more as a compliment. Um, so, and I think that's interesting because that's kind of the opposite of Arj. I think they're both young players who are good at getting to the rim and need to figure out their plans when they're there a little bit better. Um, and not coincidentally, not coincidentally, they were teammates on one of the most ballyhooed recruiting classes ever, right? Um, so these are both players that have been scrutinized for a long time. Um, I wonder how much it helps each of them to be kind of um, together in that sense. Um, with Cam, I think he's for the most part is like in preseason, he had a couple games where his shot selection was downright horrendous. Uh, I think he was trying to do too much, but he has gotten the chance. And I think on offense, for the most part, you can see what he brings. He's at his best getting downhill, but he's also shown the ability to hit threes. I think more consistency from three will go a long way. I think he's capable of being a great shooter. Like we just haven't seen it for extended periods of time, but that shot he hit against Memphis to go into overtime, ice in his veins on a closeout. That was such a beautiful play. Yeah, and I shout out to Brunson. It reminded me a little bit of, um, I think it was either last year or two. It was last year, I think. No, it was two years ago because Lonzo was on the Pelicans. And the Knicks won on a buzzer beater because they were down two, but Lonzo tried to you know rotate into the paint. And I think it was Rose found uh, Reggie Bullock in the corner. Mm-hmm. So Cam on offense, I still think he needs to be more efficient, but cautiously I'm, I'm pretty yeah to your point he does things that other players in the next can't do especially in terms of ability to get to the rim and finish to run the floor uh, his chemistry would quickly look great last game um it wasn't just that quickly was passing i'm not going to entertain the, the fucking stupid narratives that were up but it does seem like they needed to kind of get on the same page and last game quickly hit him with a couple of just lasers and it was also because Cam was cutting to, to the right place, and, and they were both on the same page. On defenses where I'm still seeing just up and down, and I don't know what's driving it. There's one possession to me that kind of sums up the Cam Reddish defensive experience so far this year. He was guarding Franz Wagner last night, which was a tough, it's a tough assignment. Franz has been very good. He caused some problems for the Knicks last night. Franz is a very clever cutter. Um, and Cam like tried to top lock to prevent a pass to Franz and the Wagner, Franz in the corner, Franz in the Wagner, right? And Franz <laughs> cut to the rim, and Cam denied it. And the, I think the guard actually really expected it to be there because it was such a sudden cut, but Cam's length stopped it, and he was aware. And that's something he's been called out for, right, is seeing your man and seeing the ball. He did both. And that was a great play, and he stuck with Franz. And then... But he had to rotate to Bull Bull, right? Because Bull Bull was open on the perimeter. And then on that same, and I, I remember thinking to myself, that's a great, that's a great play by Cam. We don't give him credit, but seeing like Franz is not easy on that situation. And then he closes out on Bull Bull. He was just a lazy closeout. He didn't chop his feet. He kind of just moved there. And um, and Bull Bull got like Bull Bull should never drive past Cam Reddish, first of all, right? Bol Bol got by him, and then Cam recovered, but Bol Bol got to 10 feet, hit his shot. He was hot last night, but it's like, it's just, like, I know Cam is trying. I don't think it's an effort issue, but it's just sustaining it. It's like, you know, just keeping in mind, like, all right, when you're closing out, chop your feet, get wide, and, um, you know, like, and it didn't seem like he was worried about the shot. It's just, it's just these, these lapses that aren't explainable that are keeping him from being what I think should be a great defender. And I, and I definitely don't think it's like feel for the quote unquote feel for the game or, or whatever. I, I think he understands. I think he's a smart player. You just see these like random lapses that um, I don't know. If he cleans those up, he could also be a great defender. Yeah. Random interjection here regarding Bobo. Um I wrote a, a know the prospect, a, a scouting report kind of little thing for him at posting and toasting when he was coming out of Oregon and he only played, it was nine games in college. Yeah. He only played nine games in college, but just the film of seeing a person, his size do what he does. Like had me so excited. I've always dreamed of him somehow ending on the Knicks just because I like to watch him play. And that sequence in the game last night where he got, I think a rebound drove full court 
and finished like a runner off glass. I have never seen a person that large do that kind of thing. And even though it was happening against the Knicks, like I just love that so much about basketball. I love seeing someone Brunson's like that in an inverted way. Brunson to me is like a little, like a really good passing center who happens to be like six foot three because he's not, he's not like a, a super quick point guard. He doesn't, you know, rise over people as a point guard. He likes to post. Um, he likes to do a lot of herky jerky stuff. His footwork down low is exquisite. Um, but I love, I love watching Mobamba and Orlando is, I think like if Orlando in the draft can end up with like Scoot Henderson, I think they'd be really interesting next year because they have, yeah, but, but on the same note, if they ended up with Victor <laughs> and they just do it, do it, just go for it. Like, insane. <laughs> I, I love that they have that. Those all seven foot, foot lineups there. Right. Uh, and they can, I they're all awesome. like. Like Franz can legitimately guard at least four positions, so that helps them a lot with that. Yeah, they're not plotting seven footers. Like they can all do all the like they combined they can do all the things. And it's kind of like a Voltron. Go ahead, go ahead. I wanted the Sixers to try this during the process. Like I remember because they had Embiid, Nerlens Noel, Okafor, uh, Ben Simmons, Okafor. And um, had a, another, um, maybe Rashawn Holmes or someone. Yes, yes, and I was yes. Like, just, just fucking throw him out there. Your spacing is going to be awful. And you might have, but like, just have everyone close out hard and keep rotating. Like, just see if Look, it works. All you right? really have to do is get shots up and you're going to rebound half of them anyway. Even if you miss, you're going to rebound right. half of your misses. <laughs> yeah, just have like Nerlens Noel can't rebound anyway, so just have him chuck it from half court and like Embiid and Simmons and you know, Rashawn Holmes can get the rebound. That's incredible. Yeah, so another player who has um who I've been impressed by, and I, I was gonna say this if we were, I'm excited about the Knicks this year because I feel like the Knicks have they remind me in a in a it's not a perfect comp at all but when denver traded carmelo um two years after i think it was 2013 they were like the darlings of the league they won 57 games they didn't have like one star they were very talented like one through 10 one through 12 um Gallinari was there i think nene was still there um and they they got to and i remember this team very specifically because i hated these nuggets and i usually don't hate the nuggets but I hated them because George like Carl would not shut up. What's that? You wouldn't shut up about Mello. But I, I liked I, I was rooting for Gallinari and Chandler at least. I loved Gallo. I didn't like those nuggets only because I didn't like George Carl taking every opportunity to point out how much more fun this team was than what he had had with Carmelo. And I remember always thinking, like, you haven't gotten any farther than the Knicks have with Carmelo. And it was a super talented, I mean a super deep team. They got to the playoffs and they lost in six, partly because at the end of every close game, they did not have someone like to go to. I love that this Nick Can team had. Good. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to me that the only former player I've heard who speaks highly of George Carl is Gary Payton, who was one of my favorite oh, yeah, players growing up. But yep. if there was another player who was like, that dude is awesome. Also, a complete asshole. That's Gary Payton, and I, I think George Carl is a basketball genius. Mm-hmm. Also, think he's kind of a dickhead, and he's still doing yes. that stuff, right? So, uh, yeah, he, we could do a whole hour on George Carl. Um, the other, so what I'm, what I was saying, the other Knicks that I want to get to, the Knicks have great depth, and I love one of the things I love the most about them this season is it doesn't feel to me like any of their players are really redundant. Like the Knicks in the past have had times where like their stars have had redundant skill sets, or they've had players on the roster who just really don't go together. Last year at the center, when you had Mitchell Robinson and Erlens Noel and Jericho Sims, they're not the same players, obviously, but there were similarities enough that you you weren't changing the system terribly when you brought in one versus the other. But Isaiah Hartenstein, Hartenstein, sorry, now I'm saying it like Van Gundy does, Hartenstein has made me yell in my seat in three games 
more than a lot of eggs do during the whole season just for some of the passing and some of the IQ that you see. It's not just even like the highlight passes with him. It's how many times I've seen them score in transition or secondary transition because the instant that Hartenstein gets a defensive rebound or a pass from whoever got the rebound, he's immediately sending it wherever it should go next. And just not just that continuity of, of thinking and motion has already helped them on so many offensive possessions. Um, it's helped them on – he's had a few of those moments with Obi where – that, that beautiful sequence where he kind of is in the middle and he'll catch the ball, Hartenstein, and just throw it behind his back to a cutting top. And there was a play in, I think, the Detroit game where it actually accidentally it went off Hartenstein's hands by accident, but it went right to Toppin for a three. And it looks intentional because I just love smart passing centers. And this guy, he was tremendous in the Memphis game. I understand at some point we're going to see things from him that will let us know why there wasn't a free agent frenzy to go after him, but this seems the rare case of just an absolute I, home I run by the Knicks. Those. What's that? I think we've seen those. Um, I think it's a yeah. double more than a home run. There's another player who I think was more was a double, and I don't think he gets credit for it, who I compared the Hartenstein signing to. And that's still my comp, although I think Hartenstein's a better version of this player. But side note, who do you think is the first center I ever saw at throw a touch pass? To the throw what? I'm sorry. Surprising, a touch pass, right? So gets the ball in the post hmm. and just without even catching it, just redirects it. Check. The answer is going to be surprising because he's not known as a passer and he should be. But obviously when you're that person, you're, you're I mean, it makes sense. But I was guessing Shaq. Is it not Shaq? Great call. Were you going to say that before I gave that last clue? When you said the first time you saw a center do a touch pass, I thought of Shaq yeah. because he was an underrated passer. He was an amazing passer, you know? He was a great pass. It's not that people think about it. He was a great, great passer. I would go so far as to say I think he's a better passer than Tim Duncan. And if he got to play on the Spurs with Popovich. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. He could have averaged five or six assists a game. He's very cerebral. I think they probably very, told very him smart. Like, but if you have the ball 10 feet or below, like <laughs> a pass is a bad <laughs> idea, right? Um, but um, no, so like I think that with Hartenstein, he, who do you think is the former Nick I'm thinking of that was also a free agent signing who also at the time was thought to be very cheap? I still think that was a great deal for the Knicks. Oh, Kylo Quinn? Yeah. He reminds yeah, me a lot. Absolutely. He's taller, but Kylo Quinn brought rim protection. We also had some of the same stuff where he had a small sample size of being able to shoot threes and he can hit a midi. And we were like, can this yeah. guy shoot three? Um, yeah, yeah. Kylo Quinn's <laughs> best trait was as a passer. He was a great passer out of the high post. I do think Hartenstein yes, he is even better. Um, yes. I, I, do, I do wonder how much playing in Europe helps some of these players who are just like obviously the greatest passing big man maybe of all time uh, Ziokic, I think. Um, and he came out of Europe. Um. So, you know, he's shown that I think you're also starting to see why he didn't get much more than $8 million. First of all, centers are devalued, right? Mitchell Robinson, mm-hmm. is it fair to say Mitchell Robinson's a top 10 center? I would say based on what he's paid, he should be, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I, he's I, in that uh, conversation. Top 10, I'd have to think about the other 10. I, I've gone through this exercise. We can go through it maybe on another pod, or we could go through it now. Yeah, yeah. I think even the skeptics... Embiid, have, I obviously the Embiid, Jokic, are you counting Giannis as a center? That's where I think it gets funky. And that's probably yeah. what devalues centers too, right? You Is AD a center? No, but you can play him there, right? Is, right. Um, you know, uh, is, and then it's guys like, is Mitchell Robinson better than Daniel Gafford? I would say yes, but Daniel Gafford... Yeah, so I would say yeah, definitely. But in certain lineups, Gafford gives you more on offense. You know, it's those kind of things. Yeah, and by the way, Mitchell yeah. Robinson, I thought, has been pretty much lights out so far this year uh him coming to yeah he, i was gonna bring year. him up yeah 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 um but so getting back to hartenstein that's one thing but the other thing is that i think and it's it's tough to explain i even talked to benji about this and benji was saying he's watched a lot of hartenstein film and the stats have always said hartenstein is not a good defensive rebounder not in just terms of grabbing defensive rebounds but the team does worse his like the team does worse as a defensive rebounding team when he's on the floor that appears to have continued a little bit. 
Now Memphis is a, yeah. Memphis is the best offensive rebounding team in the league. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. Um, eye test and statistics, right? Stephen Adams is a fucking monster. But um, yeah, yeah. you know, you can see that that's I don't even think it's box out technique. He's like probably a little bit lean. Like he's two fifty, but he's seven one. He's a big dude. That probably gets in the way. So I think that's probably why teams are like, he's a really good center. On paper, he looks like the kind of guy who could start and give you 30 minutes. In practice, yeah. he's susceptible to certain matchups. Yes. yes. Um, so that's, and, and I mean, again, you have a guy like Mitchell Robinson who you're going to start most of the time. And um, he only got $15 million, right? Like starting centers, that's kind of the go around. Should Mitchell, should Hardenstein have gotten half that much? No, I think he's a ten to twelve million dollar player, ideally. Um, I think he's he played behind Ivica Zubac, who I think again I think he's as good as Ivica Zubac, but Zubac is maybe a little bit more matchup um, proof, and um, and Hardenstein isn't the most like Hardenstein. You you have to play him and drop right, and that leaves yeah. you that against the the Grizzlies. He got victimized by John Rant. And I'm not trying to shit on Hardenstein. I'm just providing context. But um, but everything you said about his offense is, is very much true. You know, it's like mm-hmm. he um the passing opens up a lot of opportunities. You play you play him. I mean, I don't want to rehash the whole what is Emmanuel Quickly's position argument. But the fact is, Emmanuel Quickly can play on ball, he can play as a pick and roll guard. And he's really good at cutting the rim. And there was one play in the Memphis game that really stuck out to me where Hartenstein got the ball at the top of the key from Quickly and Quickly had an angle to back cut. And you could tell Quickly was going to kind of... I mean, he, he cuts hard, but he wasn't expecting to get the ball. And he definitely yeah. wasn't expecting to finish. And Hartenstein kind of... Like you could, to me, it almost felt like Quickly was like looking back like, are you really going to throw it? And Hartenstein's like, yeah, dude, this is a layup. Because he's like, I don't think it is. <laughs> And then he gave it to quickly and quickly had to throw up a layup and it went in because mm-hmm. like Hardenstein, like, so he's, that's making your teammates better. Right. Yeah, um, it allows them to invert the offense, which is very important. I think. Yes. You've seen that. You've seen that the other teams do that to the Knicks. Um, you saw the magic do that a little bit with Wendell Carter jr. That gives you another dimension. And that's what's like, I love Jericho Sims. I think he's gonna be a really good player. But I, what I love about these three centers is they all give you different looks, right? Mitch is a yeah. great rim protector. His mobility is, by the way, low key back. So I don't know if he's back to like first year. Like it's... I don't know if he's back to where he can switch on everything. But he he can be more aggressive and drop than he was certainly in the beginning of last year, but even in the end of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, he is. Um, he, but he's that he's that defensive center doesn't give you a ton on offense. But even even this year, like they're throwing entry passes to him. Hardenstein gives you that passing center. You can throw it to the post. You can also throw him the ball at like off a of pick and roll. This is why Frank I think played really well with Taj Gibson because Frank yeah. didn't want to attack the rim. He wanted to draw the two defenders and immediately move the ball because he's not going to attack the rim. But he can draw at least that opening and he's good at finding that. You get the ball to a center at the free throw line. A lot like Mitch is not going to do anything with that right now. Um, but Taj was was a little bit better than that. Hartenstein, he can hit that floater, he can post up, he can pass. Um, you know, he's um, he gives the Knicks another dimension that um, they haven't had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just seeing him taking you know corner threes, and like you said, the Hartenstein floater has already become like a stuck in my head and, as like a thing. Um, and the corner threes, by the way, I think this is an underrated part of why Obi kind of blew up at the end of last year. When he, I, I haven't looked at the stats of him and Taj. I can look it up maybe and add it in the show notes. But um, like when Taj was kind of, they used Obi more as a role man or he used them more in the paint, right? Whether it's a, mm-hmm. as a role man or like he would seal a guy off a switch and quickly has become great at throwing that entry pass over the guy, even if Obi yeah. is quote unquote covered, like just throw it up where only Obi can get it. Yep. They've been able to do that more when they have a center who can just hit the corner three. And um, and Hartenstein's been able to do that. It doesn't. It only has to be one or two attempts a game, right? Mm-hmm. But it gives enough to make that threat where um, it stresses the defense. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, so in the last few minutes, we've spoken about a lot of the I don't know minor characters on the Knicks, but um, 
certainly one of the major characters worth talking about has been the long-awaited good point guard. Like he's not all NBA. Uh, he may never make an all-star game, but the Knicks have a good point guard in Jalen Brunson, and we could literally do like a pod marathon, I think, of all the ways, all the things that you've seen in three games that either you never saw before or you haven't seen a lot of just because this guy's the point guard instead of what we've seen for most of the last 20 years. Um, talk about Brunson and what, and what you've seen with him. I mean, I think the Orlando game and the Memphis game um, are really good examples of what he brings. The Memphis game, the like, the big thing was Memphis at the late in the end game. We we have talked enough. We have talked a lot about how it seems like Thibodeau's creativity goes down in end of games. And to his credit, I think he's been more open ended. But when the need, the Knicks need a bucket, they haven't had that guy since Randall in 2020-2021. and in the playoffs, that obviously didn't happen. Okay. Brunson gives them that. I, I talked about the possession early in the game, or late in the game last night against Orlando, but he just has so many things. I think that teams want to keep him from going left, but he's such a threat with his right that coming off a screen, they kept yeah. running the same play where they'd run him off a screen um, going right, right? They, the screen would be on the right, and he was still able to get back to his left. And then once that happens, you draw help, and he was either finding guys or getting shots or he can stop and hit a mid-range. There's so many ways he can threaten you. And he can get to a shot that for most players is a bad shot, but for him is a 50% shot in the mid-range pretty much whenever he wants. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does that without really dominating the ball. Like he, he put up a quiet, a lot of people talk, he put up 21 and six last night and it felt quiet, but he was just getting buckets when the Knicks needed them. Like he's just the guy that like straightens everything out, you know? Mm-hmm. And um it's like having a quarterback who, are, let's say you have a great running game, which, you know, the analogy for the Knicks would be a great defense and some talented offensive players. But, you know, when the defense locks down and you need someone to make a play, this quarterback can can run for first down. Or he can make a throw you don't – it's not all the time. You're not throwing the ball 40, 50 times a game. But when you need him to, he makes those plays pretty easily. And it, it makes you think that if they did – if he did play in a team like, you know, a Maury team and he had to handle that responsibility, it feels like he could. So would you say that Jalen Brunson is the Daniel Jones of the New York Knicks? Jalen Hurts, bro. <laughs> um, no, you're right. There was, there was. It's, it's the, it's a lot of things. One of the the sequences that stood out from the um, Orlando game, which our friend Vivek on Twitter um, highlighted, it was a play. It was late in the third. The Knicks were up nine, and Obi Toppin had the ball in the corner right by the bench the Orlando bench, and Brunson, just Brunson cutting. A, he cut, which a lot of Nick point guards would never do. He cut, he drew the attention from two multiple defenders. All that led to R.J. Barrett having a great uncontested corner three on the other side, which he hit. It put the Knicks up 12. With Brunson, so much of it is not even just, okay, like he's going to score 17 a game, and that's great, and he's going to average, you know, like six assists, and that's great too. But he feels to me very much like an intangible guy. And I, I will admit all last year, I really mostly knew Brunson. I would see him play, but I didn't see him. You know, I didn't watch all of Dallas's games. So I only, I would, I would watch him and I would look up his numbers and he looked fine, but I didn't, I didn't feel there was anything extra there. I was just like, okay, he's, he's a fine point guard, but like, who cares? Like, but there are so many intangibles to his game that you can already see. Um, I'm 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 very irrationally and unfairly excited about this team after three games. Like I thought they could have a pretty good season because I think they can beat most mediocre to poor teams just because of their depth. Um but there's a little more they have a little more knockout punch than I realized because I think Brunson makes that much a difference, that much of a difference, and I think good Randall is a completely different proposition than the Randall we saw last year or three years ago. Um, yeah. And I, it's worth noting that like, I think a lot of the, you know, it, it became a Randall defenders versus Randall, not defenders thing. I try mm-hmm. not to take too much. I mean, I've spoken about this a little bit, but like, I think like when players expand their game, it's just hard. And we used, 
words like selfish, right? Like, or, you know, bad attitude, right? And like, or Randall is threatened by RJ. And um, I think a lot of smart people who I respect have made those cases. But I always felt like that was a little bit much. For me, the worry was Randall, like, okay, can he transition to not having the ball, right? And it's not just buy-in, right? Everyone said, it's also making quick decisions. He's been good at that. And Brunson has put him in that role. And it, and Randall seems to have embraced that role. And and maybe after realizing that after a year of being, quote-unquote, the guy, it's not everything that, <laughs> that you think it is at, at MSG, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Brunson's going to take those shots, too. I think he will. Uh, he's going to mm-hmm. have some bad games. Everyone does. Um, but, yeah, I think it's it, Brunson is the biggest reason why maybe you think, like, maybe we could take Toronto, maybe a team like Cleveland, you know, like, we're we're probably not better top to bottom than those teams. Yeah. Or top, especially in terms of like Brunson is not a better player than Pascal Siakam, Siakam. at this point. But yeah, Siakam or you know on Cleveland you have obviously Mitchell. But yeah, they have Mobley and Barnes also, which the Knicks don't have. For all the good young players the Knicks have, they don't have a Mobley or a Mitchell on this team. I mean a Mobley or a Scotty Barnes. Yeah. I did to shift gears right before we get out of here. I did want to ask you this. So here's the next trivia, which I'm expecting you to get instantly. Who's the last Knicks player to win MVP? It's going to be Willis Reed. Yeah. It's the captain. Yeah. Um, will be 50 years to the day. Um, oh, wow. The season. Um, but I was um, one of our listeners. Shout out Howard Bunces. Thanks for your support. Um, mentioned, you know, that you know it's been overblown in terms of the Knicks, you know, in terms of needing stars, right? Like we always talk about the Knicks need a star, the Knicks need a star. Well, should we shouldn't we focus right, more right. on the team? Um and I, I think we do a pretty good job of that. But in terms of that team, we we're just talking through like what are the examples in the last fifty years where someone didn't have one championship without a top ten player. And he mentioned the 70 Knicks. And I said, well Willis Reed won so it's not fifty years, you're right. It's it'll be fifty three. Um, because Willis Reed won in 1970, but yeah. he mentioned those Knicks in 1970, and I said, "Well, he won MVP," and he said, "Yeah." And Howard Bunces was there, so I can't necessarily disagree because I wasn't around during that time. Um, but I know you you weren't either, but you you're pretty well up to speed on that. Is it fair to say that Reed won the MVP because on the best team, but he wasn't really a top 15 player or top 10 player? I would argue he was top 15 um, in that season. Like there were names that were bigger than him in that season, guys who had been better at their peak. Um, But he was certainly top 15. There may have been some support for him in the sense that like he was the, the captain and the centerpiece of the rising young power that everybody was looking to, um, to become what they became, which was, eventually like a monster team, but he still, I mean, he played every single game that year. I, yeah. I mean, I would, here's why I would say yes. Acknowledging that I think the way those Knicks played, it was obviously not designed to maximize any one player. It was designed to, you know, if, if, if it was, if, if Frazier could dominate with the team looking his way one night, they would do that. If, Bill Bradley could was the the key that separated them. They would milk that. I don't think any of those Knicks performed as statistically well as they could have because that was the choice that the team made. Given that um, truth, in 1970, Willis Reed was 22 and 14, shot over 50 percent from the field. I don't see any other Nick in that season putting up comparable numbers, individual numbers. 36, 19, and seven. Now, I mean, if there was an MVP just for Game Seven, Clyde's Clyde would have won it. But like the only two Knicks, well, Frazier and Reed, Frazier and Reed were the leading scorers. Go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. I guess the question would be if in Game Seven, and to your point, I get it that it's more it was matchups based. They were the true team. And that was, I think, Howard's point, right? That like if you just have guys that can do that on any given night. That's more mm-hmm. important than having a guy who can do it every night against every defense, which I think is mm-hmm. fair. Um, that was a little bit how the Spurs operated. Although I think that short change is just how insane of a talent Duncan was even at the end of his career. But um, right. 
But like, if you were to talk about a guy who could just do that on any night, was that more Frazier or was that more Reed? I think on that, you could argue potentially Frazier, but I think what separates the two, maybe ultimately, if you could talk to writers at the time, is that this was still an era where the center was dominant. And as an undersized five who played defense the way that he did and who rebounded and did everything else the way that he did. And Reed was also unusual a little bit in that time in that Reed had I a mean, better jumper. Wilt, right? So he had he got, I mean, he had Wilt. He had... Russell was gone at that point, but it was still Wes Unseld. Um, Kareem was Kareem. almost there, if not there. Um, Walt Bellamy was in the league as a dominant center. Um, there are people I can't remember. There was every oh, you go back then, and so many people have bit bigger than Reed. They, Reed was undersized; he was six nine. Um, yeah. And it wasn't. I think when you when we if you think if you've watched games from that time, there are there are certain things that stand out when you watch the tape. Like I watched. If you watch the tape of when the Knicks and the Lakers played Game Seven in nineteen seventy. Amidst the blowout, Will Chamberlain made some and one, like when the game was definitely over, and it was the kind of athleticism that no one, no one else on that floor was doing. You could see someone today doing it, and it it pops. It has a way of standing out. Reed as a center who could defend against pretty much anybody, his size or larger, who could also get you points against them in the post, get to the free throw line, had an excellent fifteen footer. Like that's kind of a for, for that time, there wasn't much that Reed didn't do that you would ask of a center, and he did more I think than most of them. He had better shooting range than a Will. Obviously, Will was a greater player, but I think Reed today would be the kind of guy who like there are no flaws in his game, and he's more than the sum of his parts, and his team is awesome. So if you can think of players who that description reminds you of. If you look at just numbers that year, Frazier would have been worthy also. Um because Frazier was a great rebounding guard. He's getting all the assists. He shot very efficiently. He was him and Reed were both 21 a game. Reed just was a little higher decimally. Um, but I don't think I'm gonna ask my dad, because my dad watched all those games. Um I'll ask my dad about that. My impression has been that Willis Reed was that guy. Um, at least for a year, that he was able to be that guy. And that it wasn't like a, like that year where the Hawks had like four or five All Stars. I don't think it was that kind of a ceremonial thing. I think Reed did deserve it. But let me talk to some old heads and see what they say, and we can discuss this again in our next. Uh, yeah, the old head, the the old head that. Uh, well, maybe we can get Clyde on here and, and ask him himself. But <laughs> I wonder if anyone has asked. Clyde, Clyde will always <laughs> Clyde will joke that it's him, and then he'll say that it's Reed. Um, yeah. That's that's maybe I'll write an article about this. It's a very it's the eternal question, um, unless you put Patrick Ewing above both, which I think is very fair. But we may yeah, resume I think this the top three Knicks of all time in some order. Yeah, I would probably. I'm I grew up watching Pat, so I'm gonna say Ewing, and then um, it's between those two, and and those two seem to have been both the the leaders of that team, right? And then Pearl is tough to rank just because yeah, I think his peak. At least statistically, came mm-hmm. before the Knicks, but you know, obviously, mm-hmm. still a one of the, a legendary player, right? So, yeah, so many back then. I mean, you don't even think about Jerry Lucas, or they also had um, Spencer Haywood. Dick, Bar- Dick Barnett was really good. Spencer Haywood, yeah, Dick like um, shout yeah. out Spencer Barnett. Got, um, Spencer Haywood got a. I don't know if you watched Winning Time on HBO. No, did not see it. Um, well, yeah, he he was uh, he's a member of the Lakers, and um, mm-hmm. Wood Harris, who was a great actor, portrayed him pretty well. Nice. But um, but he got like Dick Barnett who was an all star. Got yeah. um, you know, probably got a little bit forgotten. And they had Bob McAdoo, and Bob McAdoo was mid seventies. They had players. Jerry Lucas put up huge numbers really before the Knicks. Bob McAdoo came here and did what he did what he does. Scored high twenties, double digit rebounds. Um, Bill Bradley was an all star, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Those that's a really oh, sorry, I just punched my computer by accident. That's a really just fascinating team that that 70 team, um, and 73 because all of their careers could have gone wildly, wildly differently. Um, and they just happen to come together and make this perfect like squad. Um, if you if you 
enjoy watching games and you haven't watched games from the late 60s to early 70s Knicks, do it. It gives you a completely different understanding of these players. Um, it really rounds out a lot like of things. Like, so as I've, as I've advertised, right, like I went to Michigan, Kazi Russell is like the our stadium. Kazi Russell. Is the, is the, the, the house that Kazi built, right? That's um, mm-hmm. Michigan won the championship with him. Um, he was number one pick. It's interesting to think because he mostly was kind of a reserve or a supporting player on those Knicks teams. And I think he was very good in that role. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's interesting because today, like, if you're a number one pick and you end up at a supporting player, right? I think this applies to Michael Thompson a little bit, um, whose son has probably become had more accolades than him. Michael Thompson was a really important player for those Lakers teams. Um, mm-hmm. But now with everything we put on the number one pick, you wonder if those guys would have been called busts, right? Or, like, not living up to their potential yeah. when they contributed to pretty importantly if not at a star level to championship teams so yeah so Knicks are playing this week wednesday night they are playing the hornets at home and then friday they begin um a rough span of games they're at milwaukee friday then they have cleveland atlanta philadelphia boston minnesota and brooklyn so um as seems to be the case, I feel every year at some point you say this when the Knicks are semi-good, they really have to beat Charlotte. Um, that's just a win that they have to get, especially a home game. Get that under your belt. Get out on the on the road trip. Well, it's not a road trip. Sorry, it's back and forth. But get that Charlotte win. Be 3-1, and one, and, and let's see what they can do against the heavies. But we will probably pot again. He lost Miles Bridges. Um, yeah, I mean. Or, or Miles Bridges no longer on the I don't want to call it a loss. He's in limbo. He's in limbo. Um, they they should win that game. I mean, they need to win that game. Limbo. I think that if you watch. Oh no 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 no! I mean he's 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 where he should be right now. At, he, there are I, more I, my point was more that um, he should probably not play basketball for a long time. But mm-hmm. yeah, I. But every year <laughs> at some point, there's a game in Charlotte. That they sh- every year that they're good, there's some heartbreak in Charlotte, and I'm hoping it's not Wednesday. So stay tuned for that. We will be back with Shout you. I the, would just... uh, Go ahead. I was gonna say the Bargnani game where uh, the what are you doing from Clyde? <laughs> what <laughs> is he doing? <laughs> I love and when Clyde breaks out. I love when Clyde breaks <laughs> out. Um, doesn't happen it's also a lot. Like, well, there was a there was a play that's been talked about. I don't want to pile on Russell Westbrook, but um, I was just thinking it. Play, a couple of eight, nice, <laughs> Is this like, a jumper? A mid range shot. Late, and, like, yeah, and yeah. there's like a screenshot of like LeBron and AD both at the three point yes. line, like with their hands out. Like, what are you doing? And I was like, that's exactly what Tyson Chandler did on the, yes, uh, the Barnyani threes. What's and amazing? Even Jr. Smith was like, "What's going on?" Yep, that's when you're in trouble. Um, what's amazing about the Westbrook one is that, and like the LA crowd is not renowned for being like hard, but yeah, there is a sound now when you watch Laker games, every time Westbrook pulls up for a jumper, there is a sound that it's, it's <laughs> between a murmur and like a soul dying in that crowd. And when he went up, that sound was right there. I mean, I don't know. I can't believe that they won't just throw in a pick get rid of him and get yourself someone who can play. Oh, interesting. Ex-Nick news for you relating to this story. Jeff Van Gundy was on the Zach Lowe pod earlier this week and talked about a player, a former Nick who is still in the league, who he thinks would be the perfect player to add to the Lakers as a starter that would solve a whole bunch of their problems. I, I one I have in mind. Tell me yours. Um, so they've set a record for, or not a set a record, but they've taken a ton of threes and have made, like, very few, right? Yeah. So, the obvious answer, especially since they're not really worried about cap, uh, would be Evan Fournier. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Jeff, well, I think Jeff he's a good player, and we, yeah. we, didn't talk about, we didn't talk about Fournier much, but I think he's a good player. I think I'd be I think most Knicks fans would be happier with him if he played with the bench, not just because he's not getting as many minutes, but because he fits better with that bench unit, right? There's going to be more ball movement. Absolutely. Um, he's probably going to have not as great, not as tough a defensive assignment. Um, mm-hmm. I think 
that would be best for everyone. I wonder if Tibbs will go through that. He cl- he closed with quickly last game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Kim closing with quickly over Fournier, despite quickly going over five, just mm-hmm. says a lot. Um, you know, on that kind of a night, uh, especially when the, the the Magic was playing a lot of zones. So I wonder, like, if if he decides to keep Cam in the rotation, a lot of people said, well, the odd man out is probably quickly. I wonder if it's Evan, or I wonder if the front office, you know, makes that decision easy. And and just despise bite the bullet and um and yeah I think with the Lakers specifically the salaries are tough to match because Westbrook just makes so much money yeah uh, like yeah I think I was talking with um Max Hoover on Twitter if you guys don't follow Max Hoover um, really interesting follow talks a lot about the Knicks also does some good work on college football um you know in terms of uh, the salaries you'd probably have to throw in someone like Obi just to make the salaries work if you did Fournier Rose. Even if you traded yeah. Fournier and Rose, you'd probably have to add someone like Obi or, or Cam. But I think the whole point would be to, to get Cam minutes. So yeah. I think the logistics of that trade are a little bit difficult. But um, but it seems like in theory, like that would be a win-win for both teams. So, so former Knicks Jeff Van Gundy believes that the answer to the Lakers' prayers in their starting five is former Nick Willie Hernan Gomez. Huh. Maybe he can uh, he can bring the movie version of his brother along. And... <laughs> I will I will leave those of you who watched Willie Hangonas to ponder this ponder this idea um, before the next pod, and I maybe we'll bring it up then because he had some interesting things to say about that. But hopefully the Knicks will give us enough things to talk about in the next two days that we will not have to resort to Willie Hernan Gomez content in 2022 on a Nick podcast. Um, Thank you all for being with us. Remember that we are sponsored. We are this pod is brought to you, I should say, by Bet Online, where the game starts. Uh, it's also brought to you by me and Stacy. So, thanks for being with us again today, and look out for the next episode in a few days. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.